we need to be reminded of our faith. Time and time again, we, be, we need to be reminded who Jesus is. Some days we need the heavens to open. We need the Spirit to come down and we need to be reminded. We need to be reminded of the reality of things. The reality that lies just beyond the appearance of things. You see, we look at our world with our eyes, hear with our ears, and our, you know, we feel with our hands. But there is more to this world than what we see. There is a reality beyond the appearance of things. Our first glimpse of this reality happens as we hear these words of Mark that he wrote about Jesus' baptism. It says, The heavens were opened. The heavens were torn apart. And God is at work here. God is doing something amazing. You see, in biblical terms, this is a big deal. Throughout Scripture, the opening of heaven meant God was about to do something amazing. God was about to reveal Himself in a powerful way. The beginning of prophecies of Isaiah begin. He said, In my 30th year, in the fourth month of the, five day, or the fifth day, when I was with the exiles near the Kebar River, the heavens were opened, and I saw visions of God. What about when Jesus was speaking with Nathanael? And he said, You believe because I said I saw you under a tree? You will see greater things than these. Then he added, Very truly I tell you, you will see heaven opened and the angel of God ascending and descending on the Son of Man. And what about what happened when Stephen was standing before the Sanhedrin, this council of Jewish leaders, and he had just testified about who Jesus was and what he had done, and they gnashed their teeth at him. And he looked up and he saw the glory of God and Jesus standing next to him. He said, look, I see heaven opened, and I see the Son of Man standing at the right hand of God. In biblical terms, the opening of heaven is a big deal. It's God's way of saying that something is important is happening here. God is going to reveal Himself. But we hear this, that God opened the heavens, that the heavens were opened when Jesus came up out of the water. God is making a statement here. He's preparing us to hear God's Word. He's trying to grab our attention to make sure that we hear this, that we hear the words that He's about to speak that we understand the magnitude of what's happening here. When he says, this is my son, or you are my son, whom I love, and you I'm so pleased. He wants us to make sure that we hear it, that we catch it, that our attention is focused on Jesus and what's happening. Let me talk for a moment just here about reality. You see, we live in a time affected by the modern era. We are people who have come out of that tradition we live in a society that is shaped by the modern era. A modern era that had its own narrow view of reality. The reality that if you can't measure it or quantify it, then it's not worth talking about. We live in a time where it used to be come out of a time when people, the only thing they could measure, those were the things that were important. It's a sort of underlying scientific approach to the world. You know, some people will say, okay, you can talk about it, prove it to me, show me. Let me measure it. Let me quantify it. See, this is a very limited view. If you ask me, it's an absurd way to go about life. It's horribly deficient. Because there are things in life that we cannot see. I would argue some of the most important things in life we cannot measure or quantify. Things like faith, hope, love, 
What about our God? Our God that we cannot fully comprehend. And yet people would say, because I can't comprehend Him, I won't follow Him. Or because I can't know the limits of God, then I can't understand Him. There's no reason, I can't even talk about Him. We live in a time when some of the greatest things, I would tell you that some of the greatest things are things that we can't touch or measure or quantify. How do we measure love? How do we quantify something like love? I mean, we can point to it when we see it, but we can't quantify it. We can't prove it. What about hope or faith? Faith, by its very nature, is believing in things that we cannot see. Things or realities that lie just beyond the appearance of things. You see, we need to reopen our minds to the reality, to the things that are truly real, the realities that lie just beyond the things that we can touch, see, and hear. God does this in a powerful way, though. The heavens opened when Jesus came up out of the water. And we, it is revealed to us again who Jesus is. We see, at least at very least, we know that something amazing is happening here and we need to tune in. We need to pay attention and watch what happens. If it wasn't enough that God opened the heavens, the Spirit descended. The Holy Spirit descended as a dove or something like a dove into Jesus. Now, we may not know all the, the intricacies of this or what exactly this is pointing to, but at our, in our gut level, at a gut level, we know that something important is happening here. I mean, how often, as you read through all the Scripture, how often does a spirit descend in a bodily form, like a, something like a dove? How often does that happen? We know that something important is happening here. I think one of the most important things is that this is a fulfilling of Scripture. The prophecies that have been told have been fulfilled in Jesus. I think of Isaiah chapter 11 where it says, A shoot will come out of the stump of Jesse. From his roots a branch will bear fruit, and the Spirit of the Lord will rest on him. Or what about Isaiah 42? Where he says, Here is my servant whom I uphold, my chosen one in whom I delight. I will put my Spirit on him, and he will bring justice to the nations. What about Isaiah 61? When this servant, speaking back to God, says, The Spirit of the Sovereign Lord is upon me. He has anointed me to preach good news to the poor. He has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to release the captives, to proclaim the favorable year of the Lord. We hear these words about the Spirit coming down and we see them fulfilled in Jesus. That Jesus is this servant this one whom God spoke about, who would receive God's Spirit and do God's work, His amazing work in this world. But the Spirit also came, and in a way, it anointed Jesus. In a way, the Spirit anoints Jesus as God's servant. Like a prophet receiving his call. Like a priest receiving his stole. Or like a king receiving his crown. We see that Jesus has been put into ministry, ordained as prophet, priest, and king to do His work, to do the ministry that God had sent Him to do, to save the people, the humanity that God had sent Him to save. We see the Spirit doing all of this. It's as if God is saying in this moment, this is my Son. This is the one that I choose to do this amazing thing. To save humanity. To reconcile creation to God. 
The Spirit is on Him. Jesus is the chosen one. So the Spirit is not only the fulfillment of promise, the anointing and the choosing of Jesus, but it also equips Him. You see, it's interesting because Matthew and Mark, they say it somewhat differently. But Mar- or sorry, Matthew and Luke, they say it somewhat differently. Mark says that the Spirit came into Jesus. Now, without making too much of the distinction here, it is interesting that he says, into Jesus. Consider the power of this. You have God the Son and God the Spirit in the same person. Joined together in the same person. How powerful is that? How powerful is that in this world? And we saw the way that Jesus lived this out. The way that Jesus and the Spirit then walked through Galilee, healing people, saving people, opening eyes that were blind, restoring people, casting out demons, and then going to the cross. Going to the cross that we could have life. Dying on a cross that we could live, that we could be reconciled to God and then raising, or being risen again. Rising again. How powerful is it that we have the two here together? God the Son and God the Spirit. If that's amazing to you, this will blow your mind. This same Spirit dwells in us. This same Spirit who who filled Christ dwells in us who believe. The Holy Spirit lives in us, strengthening us. Strengthening us to withstand the things that come at us in life. Comforting us. Reminding us that God is with us no matter what happens, no matter how hard things get, no matter the curves that come at us, God is with us. The Spirit is with us and God loves us. Comforting us and guiding us. The Spirit of God guiding us. When we start to walk away from God, when we start to lose our way, the Spirit calls us back, convicts us that we are off track and calls us back to God. And we are with Him when we are faithfully following the Spirit encourages us. Well done, my good and faithful servant. Continue on. The Spirit guides us when we come to questions. Lord, what should I do? Which path should I take? And if we will come humbly before God, He will answer that. He will show us which way to go. God will show us where His desire is for us. The amazing news is that the Spirit dwells in us too each of us individually, but also us here corporately as a church. The Spirit of God is among us even now. Do you realize this? Do you realize that the Spirit of God is here, moving among us? So we see the heavens open, and we see the Spirit come down, and we know that something amazing is happening here. That Jesus is anointed prophet, priest, and king that He's fulfilling the Scriptures and that now He's equipped in this special way, in this important way for the ministry that God has sent Him to. But if you're still wondering about Jesus, if you're still not sure, okay, heaven's open, spirits come down. I'm not sure. If you're still skeptical, maybe, listen to the words of God. The words that come from heaven. The words that thunder from heaven. The words not so much that you hear with your ear, but you feel in your chest as they're spoken. You are my son, whom I love. In you I am so pleased. When I hear these words, you are my son, 
You know what I hear? I hear Psalm 2. I hear the words of God when He said, I have installed my King on Zion, my holy hill. And then the psalmist replies back, he says, I will proclaim the decree of the Lord. He said to me, You are my son. Today I have become your father. Ask of me and I will make the nations your inheritance. I'll make the ends of the earth your possession. This is what I hear when I hear God speaking this over Christ. Did you know that Psalm 2 was a coronation psalm? A psalm that they, that they spoke or that they recited when a king was given his crown. And here we see in this subtle yet powerful way that Jesus too is a great king. No, he is the king of kings. The Lord of lords. In this moment, God is saying, you are my son, but at the same time, he is saying, you are also my king, the king that I have chosen. The king over all kings. But there's more. God says more. He says, you are my son whom I love, and you I'm so pleased. I also hear echoes of Isaiah 42. We read it this morning. Here is my servant whom I'm of, who I uphold, my chosen one in whom I delight, in whom I'm well pleased. I've put my spirit on him that he would bring justice to the nations. He will not shout or cry out or raise his voice in the streets. A, a, a bruised reed he will not break. A smoldering wick he will not snuff out. In faithfulness, in faithfulness, he will bring forth justice. He will, not be, he will not falter or be discouraged until justice is established on earth. In his law, the islands will put their hope. This is what the Lord says. Who created the heavens and stretched them out. Who spread out the earth and all that is in it. Who gave breath to people and life to all who walk on it. I, the Lord, have called you in righteousness. I will take you by the hand. I will keep you and make you to be a covenant for the people and a light to the Gentiles, to open the eyes that are blind, to free captives from prison, and to those who sit in the prisons or in the dungeons, to release them from darkness. I hear these words echoed when God speaks these words over Jesus. When God the Father says, You are my Son whom I love, and you I'm so pleased, I hear the words of Isaiah that Jesus is this one who will bring forth justice. He is this one who will open the eyes of the blind and be a light to the Gentiles, a covenant to the people of God. Jesus is this servant. He is this servant that God speaks of. This servant who will do God's will, who will carry out God's mission, His ministry in this world. Who will bring salvation to humanity if they would only believe into Him. But you know, as much as I hear echoes of the Old Testament, I don't want to lose just the plain words that God speaks. He says, You are my son, in whom I love. In you I'm so pleased. Jesus is the Son of God. More than a teacher, more than an amazing miracle worker, more than a moral example of how we ought to live, He is the Son of God. God from God, light from light, truly God from truly God, begotten and not made, of the same essence as the Father. Through Him all things were created. Without Him there is nothing that has been created that was not created. 
In Him was life, and that life was the light of all people. Jesus is the Son of God. We profess this, and we claim it openly. But you know what? To those first Christians, those first Jewish Christians, this was a complete change of reality. You see, they were believers in one God. The first rule of any Judaism is, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. There is one God, and now we proclaim that Jesus is God. But they couldn't help it. They saw the way that He lived, the people that He healed, the way that He taught with authority, that He went and He died on a cross, and that the curtain was torn and the skies were darkened. And then He rose again. They saw all of these things, and they could come to no other conclusion than that Jesus is the Son of God. He too is God. He is divine. Fully human, but fully God. The Savior that God had sent into this world to save us. This is the amazing news. This is the amazing news of who Jesus is. That He is the King of kings. The King that God has installed. He is the servant who will bring forth justice but He is also the Son of God. Mark wants us to know this, that He is the Son of God who will bring salvation to the people. You see, many have looked at these first 13 verses of Mark and they've referred to it as the prologue of Mark or the introduction to Mark's Gospel. It's as if Mark is giving us a way to read the Gospel, to read the words that he has written down, the words that he has taken from Peter. It's as if he's giving us a lens through which to read the gospel. Do you know the first words of Mark's gospel? In the Greek, they are the beginning of the gospel of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. This is how it begins. No ambiguity. No misunderstanding of who Jesus is. He is the Son of God, the Christ. This is how we're meant to read the whole gospel. It's as if he's given us a new lens, a new glasses with which to read it. It reminds me of when Tracy, a few months ago, she took Corbin to go watch a movie in 3D, to watch Cars 2 in 3D. And it was funny because she said, for some reason, Corbin didn't want to use the glasses. He didn't like them or something, and so she took her glasses off to see what he was seeing. She said for the life of her, she couldn't figure it out. She looked at the screen and it was blurry. The colors were messed up. It was, and she said it hurt her eyes to watch it. The amazing thing is, as soon as she put on her glasses again, everything was clear. The picture was clear. But not only that, the action leapt off the screen at her. It drew her into the story. In this same way, these first few verses of Mark, they help us to read his gospel. They show us how to read it. To keep in front of us, to put on the glasses that Jesus is the Son of God. No matter how many times we see the disciples get it wrong. To misunderstand who he is. No matter how many times we see the Pharisees or the Sadducees want to persecute him because they think he's some sort of heretic or some sort of freak. Because no matter how many times we see this, we know the truth from the beginning that Jesus is the Son of God, that he is the Christ, the Savior that God has sent. From the very beginning we know this. It's how we're meant to read his gospel. But it's also how we're meant to live our lives. We are meant to live our lives with these glasses on. This glass is on that Jesus is not just some great teacher. That he's not just some guy that they happen to write history about. He is the Son of God. The one who has come to save us. To give us new life. To reconcile us to the Father. This is how we are meant to live life. 
You know, and I know how difficult it can be. We get busy with life. We get busy with work or our projects, our hobbies. We begin to forget. We somewhere, somewhere along the line, we've taken off these glasses and we set them down and we forget to pick them up again. Or maybe it's because we've heard this so many times. So many Sundays we've heard it said, Jesus is the Son of God. Jesus is the Christ, the Savior. That we can begin to take it for granted. We hear those words that used to make our hearts skip a beat. Now we just hear them. We need to be reminded of the truth. The reality that Jesus is the Savior. That Jesus is the Son of God. We talk about evangelization in our church about spreading the good news with our community, with our friends and our neighbors. But you know, sometimes we need to be re-evangelized in the church. As Christians, we need to hear the good news. We need to remind each other continually, again and again, that Jesus is this great King. This great King whom God has anointed. That He is this prophet who speaks and challenges people. That He is this priest. This priest who goes before us. He is this King, this Savior, this Son of God. In these words of Jesus' baptism, we hear it again today. The Lord God, our Father in heaven, speaks over him. This is my Son, whom I love. In him I am so pleased. And we hear the truth again. The curtain has been drawn back. We see the reality beyond the appearance of things. That Jesus is the Son of God. Amen.